You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm at Prairie Mark Scopel on the show. As always, on this Monday, December 21st, is when we're recording it, a couple days away from Christmas. Happy holidays to you all. And it's a party in the desert for the Ducks because they're going to the Fiesta Bowl. We'll break it all down here on the podcast. But first, I want to remind everybody, you can subscribe to the podcast and support the show as well uh, by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com for $1 for your first month, uh, $9.95 there after that. Subscribing to the podcast is free. Make sure to do that as well to ensure that you get all our latest updates, all our latest episode sent directly to your device fiesta bowl eric uh we knew going into the year that the pac-12 champion would not be playing in the rose bowl unless they made the college football playoff this was the likely destination for oregon if they were going to win the league and this is i think you and i both predicted oregon would win the league so we're not surprised maybe that they're here it's the, the path that they took to get to the fiesta bowl <laughs> no question. I mean, I think if you would have told us a couple of weeks ago after losses to Oregon State and Cal that they'd be here, we would have said, that, okay, that's possible, but not plausible. Um, because at that point, it would have taken wins over Washington and USC. And Oregon's game with Washington was canceled. Oregon's game with USC was played. And ultimately, it was a one-game you know, determination for Oregon to win the conference. And they went out and did it. And I think I understand why other schools and around the conference feel like Oregon's unworthy of it, but at the same time, Oregon put themselves in a position to, to be there, and they took care of business, won the game, and, and really, I think, if not for the worst offensive performance in a really long time, and you have to give USC some credit for that, could have been a game where Oregon won pretty handily. I mean, yeah. they won by seven points, but they led by at least a score, two scores the whole game. They never trailed. Um there were times where it looked like they were on the verge of blowing it open. Credit to USC for their from an offensive perspective. That's just a tough offense. Um, the Ducks got it done, and it's a very bizarre year, but Oregon is now one of two Pac-12 teams still playing as <laughs> basically the rest of the league has opted out of bowl opportunities. Um, really strange that that's the case. Oregon, Colorado, the only two teams playing bowls, but hey, Oregon. You're playing in the Fiesta Bowl, one of the big New York, New York Six Bowls, one of the biggest bowl games every year. In a season where things really went awry throughout the year, two of the more, the more I think, difficult to swallow losses of the last couple of years and yeah. to overcome that and be where they are right now, I think you have to be really excited and happy. And, and again, they have a chance here to go against an Iowa State team. We'll talk more about you know, of the Cyclones here in a second. But if they win that game, they go 5-2. and two. You go off into the sunset, hey, saying, hey, they won the Pac-12 championship and they won the Fiesta Bowl. You'll take that in a year. Oregon faces number 10, Iowa State, January 2nd. I believe it's a 1 p.m. kickoff mountain time. So I think that's 12 our time Pacific. Uh, the Cyclones, 8-3 and three on the year. They finished first in the Big 12 in the regular season standings. They then faced off against Oklahoma for a rematch in the Big 12 title game, and they lost that game 27-21. We should note Iowa State did upset Oklahoma earlier in the year, 37-30. 
So they do have a, a, a good win on their on their belt. They do. They also have uh, a win over Texas, twenty three to twenty. That came on the road. Um, they have a couple losses on their on their belts. No, most notably, the first game of the year against University of Louisiana at home. They lost thirty one fourteen, an embarrassing loss there. And then they rebounded with three three straight wins, which included a win over Oklahoma before they lost to number six, Oklahoma State, 24-21. And then they rattled off five straight wins before their third loss of the year to Oklahoma. Um, it looks like uh, on the paper, this is a team that against bad teams, they win for the most part. I mean, if you exclude the University of Louisiana loss which to open the year, and then, you know, it, you don't want to make excuses, but I think it's understandable that, that probably doesn't happen if those two teams play again right now. Um, they they beat the lower competition. They've beaten one of the better teams in the conference, but they've also lost to two of the better teams in the conference in Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, who both finished second and third uh, in the Big 12 standings. Yeah, it's, I think it's interesting looking at Iowa State's resume and I know it's been a really wonky year, and it's hard to compare this because there's basically no non-conference schedules. As you said, Iowa State played one game. They lost it to Louisiana by three scores. It's interesting that they're considered a top-10 team, right? I mean, I, and I, know, I understand they beat Oklahoma. They beat Texas. They've handled some business this year. This is – we should know. This is, like, historically the best year in program history. Um, they have not won a conference championship of any kind in football since 1912. Um, I, I don't know who the president was then, but I don't think many of us were alive for that person's inauguration. Um, and I, I think you just, you look at this and go, and we can talk about this as well. Like from a talent perspective, Oregon has a significant advantage, humongous advantage here. I mean, we, 247 sports has a cool feature here. The, uh, team composite where it compares recruiting rankings, Oregon has 37, four or five star recruits on the roster. I would say has four. Oregon has the 12th most talented roster in the country. I was, it has a 57th most talented roster in, in the country. So from if like you're, a, if, if you're compare, if you're curious where that lands, they are one spot behind the Beavers. Yeah. So, so like, this is, yeah, like games aren't won and lost on paper, but this is going to be one of those games in which, Hey, Oregon should theoretically be uh, a heavy favorite if they play their best football. And I think that gets me to the point of it's interesting that Iowa State's ranked 10th despite having three losses with one of those against a team like Louisiana. And I understand their other losses are to, quote-unquote, the big boys in the Big 12. I know Oregon has two losses. Two of them are – one. well, I mean, Cal was supposed to be a really good team this year, but COVID impacted things. I, I don't know exactly how you want to perceive that. Oregon State, certainly that's not a good loss. That's – on par with that Louisiana loss, but that's also a rivalry game. I just find it interesting if you compare the resumes. I understand that Iowa State has one win over Oklahoma on it, a win over Texas. Oregon's best wins are USC and probably Stanford, right? It's just interesting that the disparity in ranking there, and also the fact that I was a little surprised here. I thought kind of despite the ranking disparity, Oregon might open up as a favorite in this game, but they don't. They open up as a four-point underdog to Iowa State, and again – there's no question that Iowa State has performed well this year and that they've battled and fought. I just kind of – my perception would have been like the average 
gambler, the average voter nationally would have said, okay, on paper, Oregon has a ton more talent. This was a team that was in the preseason that considered a potential college football playoff contender. They've had some ups and downs. And I know it's been interesting. I think the national narrative has been a little different than my perspective on the Pac-12 championship game where it was kind of like USC did a lot of things to lose the game rather than Oregon doing a lot of things to win it. I agree. It's the complete opposite for me. I felt I feel completely the opposite. So I, I, I guess it's just been kind of interesting seeing how this game has been framed from the outside of like, I looked at this and I went to bed, you know, uh, Friday. Well, I guess it would have been early Saturday morning because there was a lot of coverage afterwards. Probably went to bed 1, one at 2 a.m. But like kind of thinking, okay, if they play Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl, which was what the projections were, but depending upon the Big 12 Conference Championship game outcome, I was like, that's about as good of a matchup as you could ask for. Just in that, hey, I know this Iowa State team has been frisky. They've won games. But from a talent perspective, Oregon it has, a, has an overwhelming advantage. And from a history perspective, so the Ducks do too. And like, we're going to see now. We're going to see what this team's focus and motivation is. Again, I think it's notable that Iowa State, this is like the best bowl game they've ever been in. They've, yeah. won, four, they've won four bowls ever. They're going to be fired up for this game. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the they, their best bowl before this was like the Alamo Bowl a couple of years ago. Um, they, don't, they don't play in big bowl games. So this means a lot to them. Um, part of me feels like this is a little bit of Oregon, Kansas State in the Fiesta Bowl a couple of years ago, where you've got a Big 12 team that everybody thinks is really good and competitive, but the talent disparity, the athleticism disparity is going to be super lopsided in Oregon's favor here. And if Oregon, and and again, we'll talk about a lot of things throughout these next couple weeks before the game, if Oregon can get its crap together on offense from a quarterback perspective, like I, I think this is a matchup that really favors Oregon in terms of like, just like, man-on-man athleticism perspective, Oregon should have the advantage in almost every situation. Um, And it's just going to come down to, can they execute? Can they maximize the situations? And again, from an offensive perspective, the last couple of games, it hasn't been there. And that's very concerning going into this week or into the festival in a couple of weeks. And that's going to be the rub, right? Like it's obvious that Tyler Shuck right now um, is, is dealing with, and these are my words. These aren't his words, but confidence issue. He maybe he's mentally drained. He said men, the team is mentally drained. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something wrong with with Tyler Shuck. He is in a funk. Um, he is the, the the level that Oregon is the production that Oregon is getting at the quarterback spot from their starter the last couple of weeks is as low as it's been in a long time since since Dakota Prukop and probably significantly worse than that. Uh, Braxton Burmeister-ish when he had to replace Justin Herbert. And that's, A, surprising when you watch Tyler Shuck week one, week two, week three, and now we watch him after the Pac-12 championship game, considering they're night and day players, you know, those two times. And the the question I have going into this Fiesta Bowl and, and, and to really make it that simple, and I think it truly is that simple, in the next two weeks, can the Oregon coaching staff rebuild Tyler Shuck's confidence and get him back to playing where he was week one, week two, week three of the Pac-12 season? If they do, I think this is a blowout win for Oregon. Uh, if they don't, that then opens the door. Okay, do you use more of Anthony Brown? or And if you don't, it becomes a game that will be that will be very difficult for Oregon to win. 
No doubt about it. I mean, the fact again, the fact that they beat USC with basically nothing in the passing game, zero completions downfield the whole game, really. I mean, the longest completion he had that traveled in the air, I think was the 14-yard touchdown to Hunter Campmoyer. I mean, like everything else was underneath. He tried to go down the field once, and it was, his, it was, it was an interception, and it was just a really bad decision. Um, you can't beat good teams, and Iowa State, again, has been a team that – a lot of credit to Matt Campbell for maximizing – this talent for being able to beat Oklahoma and Texas. You don't do that. You know, it's kind of almost like when you see Wisconsin in, in basketball, right? Like they're going to play a certain style. And I know that like, we'll get to the stylistic stuff later on as we kind of open it up more, but like they know how to make, they know how to minimize what is the talent disparity just because we've seen them do that now against Oklahoma and Texas, even the big 12 championship game. It wasn't like they got the butts kicked. It was a one score loss, but Oregon needs to, to win this game figure something out at quarterback. Um, if, if Tyler Shuck is what he's been the last couple of weeks, flat out, he shouldn't be playing. Um, and if he isn't able to, if, and, and again, I think there's something to be said of continuing to use Anthony Brown in some capacity, especially if, if Tyler hasn't taken his game back up to the plate. I mean, I mean and the thing that's frustrating is, he was really good at times early on in the season. I know a lot of fans are, there's like a revisionist history of like, he was lucky and he didn't play well. Like he threw some great passes down the field early on in the season. He's just completely lost that ability, that confidence to just let it, to let it go. And, you know, he mentioned it was mentally draining. Part of me wonders if, if he's struggling with kind of the realities of, of what's going on right now. Um, and that's playing a role in it. I mean, this is a, a small totally understandable for that is the case. Well, I was just going to say, like we heard about in the NBA bubble players dealing with like depression and mental health issues because they were locked into close quarters for such an extended period of time. I know Oregon isn't quote unquote in a bubble, but players and coaches have all said it is about as close as you can get to that. I mean, they go home to their own houses and stuff, but outside of that, they're basically just at the facility driving home, maybe getting food. I mean, there isn't, their lives are very, very different than they normally would be. I would understand that. Um, and if that's the reality of it, like I, I, my heart goes out to these guys, it's tough, you know, um, at the same time, you have to balance that aspect with results on the field and Oregon to win this football game really needs to maximize this position. And what Chuck has done really the last three halves of football, and I'll, I'll give him credit for a strong half in the first half against California. He made some nice plays there. If, if he's not able to step up, Anthony Brown needs to be on the field either all the time or at least half the time. And I will be very curious. I think you're, you're dead on in terms of like the biggest thing that Oregon has to figure out in these two weeks is the quarterback position is figuring out what's going on with Tyler shock because he's not the quarterback he was earlier on this season. Something has changed. It seems like it's somewhat psychological. I mean, I just don't think he trusts himself, which goes against the way, he had been described all offseason, right? Like coming into the season, the thing with Tyler Shuck was he's got a lot of confidence. He's a great leader. He's an awesome locker room guy. He's vocal. We see that in how he communicates with the media in terms of he, again, after every one of these rough games that, that you know, he's had, he's addressed the media afterwards. I've been impressed with that aspect of it. But at the same time, like something's going on here. And for Oregon to go out and beat Iowa State, that has to be rectified. They can't go into this game against a team that is eight and three ranked 10th in the country with a quarterback who just doesn't have a lot of confidence in himself and really expect to have anything happen besides a loss. I mean, I, I don't expect, here's what I'll say. I would be stunned if Oregon is blown out in this game. 
I really would. I think the only way this game is like more than a couple of touchdowns one way or the other is if Oregon dominates this game. I think if Oregon's going to lose, it's going to be a close loss. But if they're going to lose and it's a close loss, it's just going to be because the defense did everything they could to win this game, but the offense couldn't make any make enough plays. I'm with you. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's the fact that I'm just completely underrating or maybe I, maybe I just don't respect Iowa State. And I, and respect isn't the right word to use, but when I see number 10, Iowa state, I don't think that ranking is true. I mean, they're three lost. They're a three lost team. I feel like if they had played seven games and were five and two, they wouldn't be ranked. Um, we'll, we'll see what's, going to happen with this game, but I just go into this thinking like Oregon should be the better team in every facet of this game, except for maybe quarterback. And while that's extremely important, this game could mirror a lot like what happened down in the Coliseum on Friday night in which Iowa state literally just can't keep Kayvon Thibodeau from getting into the face of Brock Purdy, Iowa state's quarterback and disrupting the entire flow of that team. And all Oregon has to be able to do is capitalize on the mistakes that Oregon's defense will force Iowa state into. And if you do that, you win this game. Um, And if you get any kind of positivity with the offense moving down the field on its own, that's how it turns into a blowout. But I mean, early, early suggestions for me is like, if I were to bet on Oregon, I would take the, I would bet on Oregon easy because they're three and a half, you're getting three and a half points. Like, Give me that all day. And Oregon, you know, their talent disparity is significant. And I just can't get past that. And the only thing I think that will keep this game from really truly becoming, a, you know, a, an issue for Oregon is if they get nothing from the quarterback spot. And, and it feels wrong to say that, but this is just kind of how it feels. Well, we should note that this, the little bit of a difference between USC and Iowa State is USC has. I don't know, one of the top five, six running backs in the country in Brees Hall. Um, he's run for over 1,500 yards, 1,400 yards in 10 games this season, 19 touchdowns. He's, um, you know, you look at the stats here, entering the final three weeks of the season in the, you know, the first seven games, he'd run for over 100, and, over 100 yards in all of them, a touchdown or two in all of them, had a stretch there where he was running for over 150 with two touchdowns for about five straight weeks there where they were winning. Um that 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 is a differentiation here. Um, USC had like zero run game. You know, um, Oregon's run defense has pushed putting up fantastic numbers the last two games against Cal and against USC, allowing about one to two yards per carry for their running backs. They're going to be tested. This might be the best running back they've faced all season. The other co- candidate for that is of course Jamar Jefferson, and we saw what Jamar Jefferson did. So, like th- that's the counter of like. If Reese Hall is for real and he goes out and just can dominate this game, which we've seen from Iowa State this season, that's the way they've been winning these games. And, of course, Brock Purdy, their quarterback, has been good too. That, to me, is kind of – their recipe is probably just they play keep away and they are effective enough to get to 35, 38 points, and Oregon's offense isn't good enough to get there. Um, but I also see a scenario here where is Oregon's front – worse than some of these fronts that 
have been really not very good in the Big 12. I mean, I hate to say it, like the Big 12, from my perspective, that's an offense-heavy league. I don't see a lot of defenses that are as good as Oregon's that they have faced. Um, you can maybe argue Oklahoma and Oklahoma in their, in their game. The Big 12 championship, 23 carries for 79 yards. That was his worst game of the season. Um, in the previous matchup, 28 for 139 um, in the game they did win uh, back in October for Brees Hall. Like that, that's the player to be aware of. That's the, that, to me, that's the, the difference maker for Iowa State is if he is able to have a big game, they can win at the line of scrimmage. They could run the ball effectively. That changes things a little bit. But if Oregon's defensive front, which has been awesome the last two games, especially against the run, and honestly, last game against USC, boy, were they really effective in disrupting everything Keaton Slovis was trying to do. If that, if it comes down to the defensive line, Oregon wins those battles, I'm with you. I think it's just a little bit more complicated because unlike USC, this is an offense that is really a dual threat offense. They can yep. shoot both ways. Yep. And that's the, that's the big thing is that um, Keaton Slovis was a statue. Like you, you could literally get him with a, with a, with a turtle rushing him um, because <laughs> he is not mobile at all. Um, and Brock Purdy is a different type of quarterback than Keaton Slovis is from a running perspective. Um, we should also note now, like, you said it, you know, Iowa State's defense from a scoring standpoint, 28th in the country. You know, they are uh, significantly better than some of the other teams that Oregon has faced uh, in their slate of games in the Pac-12. Um, so, they and, they and they did it in a league that there isn't very, there isn't a good reputation for defense in the Big 12. And there is a lot of respect for the Big 12 offenses. So, I mean, I'm not saying they're gangbusters. I'm not saying that they're this, you know, unit that's just going to clamp everybody down, but they were significantly better defensively than a lot of their counterparts in the Big 12. And, you know, they were just outside the top 25 from a scoring sta uh, standpoint. And a total defensive standpoint, you know, I, I think it was safe to say that Washington's defense was probably one of the better defenses in the conference in the Pac-12. Iowa State's right there. Uh, one spot higher than them in total defense. 343 yards allowed per game, which is pretty good for a Big 12 team, um, considering all the offenses that they face. But nonetheless, this should be a game where Oregon should have some success. And let's end it with this, Eric. Um, we know the team is staying in town. They're not going home uh, for Christmas. Crystal Ball said he just doesn't – they're going to double-check – they're going to speak with the players. They're going to get their viewpoints, but he just didn't think that it was feasible to have the players go home, get back, go through quarantine again and all of that. And unfortunately, you know, as fortunate as it is, that, that sucks. Um, but to be able to play in this game, they're probably not going to be able to go home. So we know the guys are probably going to be in Eugene. They're probably going to get more, a couple more practices than they normally would because they're not going home. Right. Um, and there's no school going on right now. So there's nothing else to do. Um, what feels like is on the line for this game for Oregon? I, I look at this and think, oh, yeah, the Fiesta Bowl is on the line and finishing in the top 25 is on the line and a second straight bowl game is on the line. But I look at this and think this could be that launch point for Oregon in 2021 to start the year as a top 10 team, a top five team, 
uh, a top 15 team and a true contender in the college football playoff because of everyone that's coming back and, and, and everyone that's being added into this roster. Yeah, I think this is a big game in terms of the momentum for, for next year. Um, winning a Fiesta Bowl in and of itself is big from like a recruiting perspective, a national perception perspective. Um, it means you can look at Mario Cristobal's resume and say in the last two years, he's won a conference championship game and a New Year's Six Bowl game. That's, that speaks for itself. That helps when you go into living rooms of, of potential recruits and say, what are you offering? Hey, we win conference championships and we win bowl games. Um, I think from a confidence perspective to losing games to Oregon State and Cal to then being in consecutive games, beating USC and Iowa State, who both of which would be top 13 teams at the time of those games. That feels certainly significant in terms of just the way you continue to build the confidence of the program. I think of just like a narrative of like, this is a really young football team. And most of these guys are going to be back next year. We've talked about that before. And being able to say, hey, look at the, look at the adversity we overcame. Look at how crazy this year was. We handled not just stuff on the football field that was tough, but stuff with COVID. And we came out and we won games and it finished with us hoisting a couple trophies. Like, I, I think those things are really critical for this team. And again, we've said it before and, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot that's going to take place between now and next year and the, the 2021 season starts. There's more recruiting to be done. There's going to be players who transfer out. There might be players who transfer in. There are going to be players who go early to the NFL draft. There are players who are going to stay that we didn't expect, et cetera, et cetera. It's hard to project exactly what this team will look like. But I really think the bare bones, the foundation for competing for not just conference championships, but for really for a college football playoff, feels like it'll be in place next year. And it's going to come down to a quarterback position. And I don't, we don't want to go too much into that. But like, there is the basic stuff there to look at it and say, hey, 2021 could be a really special season. And to get there, I think winning this game can just kind of act as that launching point, that little, that little thing that kind of propels you into the next offseason. I mean, think about what the difference in narrative was and discussion was. And I don't know how much that necessarily impacts what happens within the program. But outside of the program, it's certainly significant of like if Oregon had lost Pac-12 championship to Colorado and they'd want, let's say they won an Alamo Bowl against Texas. I think the offseason discussions are a lot different than what we saw where Oregon wins the conference, wins a Rose Bowl, and is suddenly a college football playoff contender just almost instantaneously over the course of the offseason. I think doing the same thing this year, winning a conference championship, winning the year six bowl game, the Fiesta Bowl over Iowa State, sets you up to be in that discussion all offseason next year. Like, hey, look what Oregon brings back. Look at the things they accomplished. They check some boxes. And they really enter the year as like a top eight, top ten team nationally that really is considered one of the teams that could contend and possibly play for a national championship. I really think that this is an opportunity for Tyler Shuck to close the door a little bit about – the quarterback spot in 2021 or on the flip side, if he doesn't play very well, sure. it completely opens the door for a full fledged quarterback battle in the off season for 2021, because we know Ty Thompson's coming here early. We know Jay Butterfield will now have been on campus for a year. Anthony Brown could, could choose to come back for his senior season. And we still haven't talked about 
Bobby Ashford, Kale Millen. This is an important game individually for for uh, Tyler Shuck, where he comes out and he plays like he did the first two, three weeks of the season, and he throws for 300 yards and a couple touchdowns, and he runs for 80 yards and another touchdown, and Oregon wins in blowout fashion and plays a complete game. He goes into the offseason as, I think, the clear quarterback leader. And there will be a competition, but the odds are stacked in his favor to retain the starting job. If he comes out and does not play well, doesn't if he gets replaced by Anthony Brown, yeah, whether as a starter or in game, then we go into an offseason where there's for a second straight year a quarterback battle that will be completely wide open for Kale Millen, for Jay Butterfield, for Robbie Ashford, for Tyler Shuck. If Anthony Brown elects to come back, he will certainly be in the mix. And most, you know, and also I think what a lot of fans are wanting, Ty Thompson, the true freshman. Uh, I, I think Thompson's going to be at a disadvantage compared to the other guys, but I think the door is completely open for him to step in and take that job. Uh, and that's going to be one of the stories within the story of this game for me. You know, it's almost regardless of the outcome from Tyler Shuck, unless he's just absolutely phenomenal, there's going to be a lot of discussion about who's the quarterback next year, I think. Um, again, unless he comes out and, like, throws for 400 yards and runs for 50 and Oregon wins, like, wins like 56 to 10, which is, like, I give, like, a maybe a – five percent chance of that happening there, there is going to be a lot of murmuring about chuck can't be our quarterback next year Oregon is a potential cultural playoff contender he's not good enough we have to be better at quarterback i'm using the we in the hour from a perspective of the Oregon fan base i'm not using no that. you're not come on <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. okay whatever <laughs> you got me no I, I just i just look at it I, but that's really how i feel of like i i think He's kind of, and it's not his fault entirely. Like his play has been his fault, but like it, it's it's to a point I think where it doesn't necessarily even matter as much of what he does in this game. If I'm honest, like I think the perception right now, his approval rating is so poor right now among the fans, and I know that doesn't necessarily mean anything from the coaching staff because they've continued to just reiterate he's their guy. But I don't know. I, I think it's going to take him just being incredible in this game for people to kind of shut kind of shut up and say okay maybe he is the guy going forward and maybe we and you know and 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 you know the, the way this works is everybody it's called you know it, what you've done last is always the most impressive thing and so yep. if he goes out and like i said if he just balls out and oregon's offense looks great and he's you know fiesta Bowl mvp and everybody it's going to be hard for him to kind of go into the offseason being looked at as a possible as not the starter but i just think there's also a pretty likely scenario where even if he's average and they win or let's say he's bad and they lose let's say he's bad enough that He's totally replaced by Anthony Brown, and Anthony Brown comes in and leads them back to victory in a comeback. Like there are all these scenarios where I see where we go into the offseason, and despite Tyler Shuck having a full year of basically a starting experience under his belt, and I know it's half a year from a games perspective, but a full year from like the perspective of the entire season, just a shortened season, there's just gonna be a lot of murmuring of like that's gonna be the big storyline all offseason, regardless. Yeah. But if he's not fantastic, that's certainly gonna be a is Ty Thompson? Is it Ty Thompson's year? What about Anthony Brown? Well, Jay Butterfield was a better recruit. That's going to be what it is, almost regardless from my perspective of how he performs in this game. 
tons of storylines, tons of coverage on this Fiesta Bowl, which will be played January 2nd from the great state of Arizona, where it's 75 degrees and warm and sunny out. Uh, I'm sure Oregon will be happy to be in a warm climate for the bowl game. We'll have full coverage of this football game all the way leading up to uh, its kickoff and then conclusion. Uh, Eric, Kevin, and I on DuckTerritory.com will have full coverage of Oregon versus Iowa State leading up to it. We will have updates from Oregon's coordinators on the site later on Monday into Tuesday, and then we'll start getting players, I think, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. So tons and tons to look forward to. Hopefully you guys stick with us. And until we talk to you soon, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, folks. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG.